Hello, and thanks for joining us for the September 2016 episode of the Poverty Research and Policy Podcast from the Institute for Research on Poverty at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm Dave Chancellor. For this episode, I interviewed Tim Beattie, an economist at the University of California, Davis. Beattie was at IRP in April of 2016, and during his visit, we talked about an article in the American Journal of Agricultural Economics that he co-wrote with Charlotte Tuttle about the SNAP, or food stamps, program, and what happened to people's spending when there was a sudden increase in the program benefit. The answer is interesting, because Beattie says it can tell us something about whether the labels we use for public benefit programs influence how people spend their money. The idea on this, and and, and a lot of my work, is governments often give descriptive titles to what are essentially cash transfers to people. So these exist in a variety of different um, kind of schemes. So if you think about rental vouchers, that's a payment that's given to a household to help pay their rent. In a lot of European countries, they have something called a child benefit, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's it's a, a bit of money given to the parent, typically the mother, to spend on the needs of of their child. There's a payment in the UK that was the subject of some earlier work, which is called the winter fuel payment, which is, again, actually just a cash transfer to households in the United Kingdom uh, to elderly people to help them pay their bills. And it turns out, as an economist, we typically think of these labels as not being very useful. We we think of if if I give you $100 and I call it, you know, the winter fuel payment, or food money, we typically don't think that that will influence the way you spend it. We think you'll just ignore that that label. Beattie notes that economists apply the same line of thinking, that what we call a program doesn't influence spending patterns, also applies to SNAP, or the Food Stamps Program. The Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, or, or Food Stamps, um, has a very similar structure uh, in the sense that people get some money to spend on food. Now, they, the, the difference between, say, um, the winter fuel payment and uh, SNAP is that you have to spend this money on food. But let's say, you know, you every month spent $500 on food and someone hands you a card for $100 and says you have to spend this $100 on food. You know, as economists, we typically think what you'll just do is take $100 that was your cash that you used to spend on food, slot in that card and not really change the amount. You know, you might spend a little bit more on food because you're now a little wealthier because you have a hundred more dollars that you didn't have before. But we don't typically think that you would take all hundred dollars and now spend six hundred dollars on food. These descriptive labels and titles are common. Politicians like to attach them to legislation because they can suggest a behavior that voters are more likely to see as positive. But the question is, contrary to what economists might traditionally think, do the labels work? And so in the case of SNAP, actually, this is something that people have worked on for a really long time. Um, The first paper on this actually dates back to like 1945. And at that point, they, someone called Southworth uh, in the sort of uh, journal, what was then the Journal of Farm Economics, which is now the journal of the American Journal of Agricultural Economics, which I'm actually editing now. Um, So it's sort of this full circle thing, which uh, is kind of enjoyable, Um, sort of showed that if you give people, um, sort of laid down the classical economist model which is that this shouldn't affect above sort of the effect of being a little bit wealthier. Um, so if you're a little bit wealthier, you're going to buy a little more food. You're going to spend a little bit more money on food because you're wealthier, but you're not going to spend the full value of it, that transfer on food. He laid out that sort of basic model back in 1945. And 
people have really worked on this question pretty continuously ever since. Um, we actually did some other work and, and tried to look at how many people have actually tried to answer this question. You know, we got 60 you know, odd studies really on SNAP and or then food stamps and essentially how people spend it and whether it has a sort of outsized influence on spending. But a lot of this research was based on earlier versions of the food stamp program. Biddy and Tuttle set out to update this research in order to better inform current policy. There had been a, a quite good and quite important paper by Hilary Hoynes and Diane Whitmore Schausenbach that looked at the early sort of rollout of the food stamp program to sort of try to tease out the effects of food stamps on spending. I mean, it's a really excellent piece of work, but it looks at kind of a food stamp program that doesn't exist anymore. So it's not, it, it, it's informative about policy, but it's not informative about current policy. So we wanted to try to do um, something a little bit more modern that looked at sort of the modern food stamp program. And the ideal thing to do would be to do an experiment and randomly give a bunch of uh, food stamp recipients more food stamp money. And we can't really do that because, you know, we don't have that kind of money. Um, but what we were able to do is kind of leverage what's called the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of, of 2009, which gave uh, SNAP recipients increased SNAP benefits considerably. It was the largest sort of one-time increase in the program. And so we were able to get data f on individual households, both before and after that increase, and look at how, the, how they spent that increase. And what we found was that these labels um, actually ended up sort of, uh, ended up being much more effective uh, than we had thought, than the standard theory would, would, would suggest. Um, so that people spent a much larger share of the increase in benefits on food than we would have thought from, from basic economics. Biddy says their key finding that for each additional dollar of benefit, people spent about an additional 50 cents on their overall food budget was surprising because it was such a large increase. As he was saying before, they expected that people would spend a little bit more on food because they had a little bit more money. So maybe something more like 10 or 15 cents on the dollar instead of 50 cents. At the outset, honestly, we, we didn't think we would find such large numbers. And so we, we really subjected the results to pretty destructive testing. We did a number of what are known as falsification analyses. So the idea being that there are a number of things that you wouldn't expect to respond. So, for example, um, SNAP can't be spent on um, food away from home. So what we did was we looked at spending on food away from home instead of food at home. And we found that there was no real change in, in spending on food away from home. If our results were being driven by other things, can other confounding factors, um, maybe you would expect uh, the food away from home. It's something that affects food spending. So you, you might expect to see something in, in spending on food away from home, but we really didn't see that the ARA benefits changed spending on food away from home. We also looked at periods before and after. Um, so periods in which there wasn't actually a benefit change. And we found that, you know, there was no change in the level of spending in, in food when we looked at sort of two periods before the benefit increase or, or, you know, periods right after the benefit increase. It was really only when there was the benefit increase that we saw this effect. So we, we, we have good reason to believe that it was caused by this increase in SNAP benefits as opposed to other unobservable factors. Professor Beattie was quick to point out here that a possible limitation of the study is that it took place in the aftermath of the Great Recession when the economy and a lot of people were struggling, and it's not completely clear if or how things would have been different in a more stable time. But, he says, the study does suggest that people do respond to these kinds of labels. 
As for why that might be the case, Beattie says that the behavioral economics literature gives us some ideas. Thaler proposed this notion of sort of mental accounts. If I put a descriptive label on, on a transfer, you may place it in your mental account for food. And you can substitute money in your mental accounts, but that, that comes at some cost. Uh, I mean, economists call it fungibility, which is the ability to sort of split money up to, to various purposes without much cost. And so that may interfere with fungibility. So you may, it may, it may be costly. To, I mean, maybe psychologically costly to you to take money you'd kind of put in your food account and spend it on something else. And so you do it to some extent. You know, we didn't find that an additional dollar in SNAP benefits translated to an additional dollar in food spending. It was closer to 50 cents, which was, you know, very high relative to the previous literature. But sort of this theory of mental accounting might explain part of it, that, that people don't evenly substitute between mental accounts very without some cost. And so uh, that explains why people might sort of treat this kind of payments, uh, these kinds of payments a little differently. Beattie says other research looking at these increases in SNAP benefits that came as part of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act align with the story he's telling here. There was work by Mark Nord at, at ERS at the USDA who found that this increase translated to a decrease in food insecurity at the time of the recession. Uh, people have found that it, actually diet quality went up after these benefits. So in some sense, the, the work we did tran- uh, explains, provides the mechanism by which those other um, findings can be rationalized so that, you know, if you know, we see people spending more on food, we see them buying, you know, that, that translates to better food typically. Um, so higher qual- higher dietary quality food, which um, some, again, some other ERS researchers found. And if you spend more on food, you're less likely to be food insecure. And so that explains some of Mark Nord's findings. And so that was, um, you know, there are, there's, there's a now sort of, I think, a body of evidence that this, these ARRA benefits were, were very important in helping households through the Great Recession. And so we were one paper that defines the mechanism by which at least some of the other responses can be explained. This finding that giving labels to public transfers can influence people's spending may offer both good and bad news, Beattie says. It's a good news story in that it gives policymakers another lever to influence behavior, which is a nudge in, in the truest sense of the nudge, in that it doesn't require you to behave in a certain way, but it, it sort of tries to induce you to behave in a certain way. But I think it also has sort of a potential negative implication, which is that if if you are giving a payment uh, a name for political expediency, uh, you may end up nudging people in a direction that you didn't intend. Um, so that if, if you give a payment a name simply to get it through Congress or simply to get it approved, you are hoping people will be more rational than, or, you know, will be, will ignore the descriptive label because economists have told you that they're going to ignore the descriptive label. You might want to sort of proceed a little bit more cautiously that these labels can have an effect. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done to sort of see whether, you know, we really looked at a reasonably short time around the payment increase. And so maybe three periods later, you learn how to manage your higher benefits and it sort of, it's possible it reverts back to predetermined level. We didn't see any evidence of that as far out as we could track people, but just given the nature of the data we used, you couldn't track people for a, for a terribly long period. And so you, you couldn't say two years later, people had sustained higher food spending, but we could say a couple months later, people did have sustained higher food spending.
Thanks to Tim Beattie for sharing his work with us. If you liked what you heard here, you can subscribe to the Poverty Research and Policy Podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. You can also find all of our past episodes on the Institute for Research and Poverty website. 